You'll like that. Have you ever seen that before, John? It's a good book. You'll like it. Yeah, this is a great book. They got a version for girls, too. So dangerous book for girls, just different projects and stuff. <laughs> sir, yes, sir. I have to ask you a quick question. Sure. Um, what what did you what did you teach last week? What did you teach out of? So we taught last week in the Not, main yeah, in the main service. Uh, hit principally uh, Galatians chapter six. With that whole, uh, the idea and kind of what I unpacked was, is that passage where he says about sowing and reaping and it starts with give to your ministers and then ends with, if you do good, uh, make sure you do good to the household of faith. But in the middle, what I had never seen before and I kind of focused on was even though here's two, it's bookended by two material concepts, giving to ministries and giving to people. He said, but what you're actually sowing is what's in the middle. Because he says, whatsoever man soweth that, he will also reap. And then he says, thank oh, you, thank sir. you. Yes, ma'am. He goes, I will. He goes, if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit. So I really talked about the heart of the sower. It's not so much what you're sowing, the tangible asset. It's what you're actually sowing is, well, am I sowing to the flesh or am I sowing to the spirit? And what you're actually reaping is that. So there's only kind of two types of seed. She didn't really do much on 2 Corinthians 8 or 9. No, mm -mm, no. I think I mentioned as a connection at the very end uh, that whole sparing and bountiful yeah. mirrors that because those who reap sparingly, that word sparingly in the Greek is a quantity word. But the word bountiful is not. Yeah. It's the word eulogia, and it's literally the word we get blessing from. So Paul was actually saying, if you give with just quantity in mind, then, then that's all you'll reap. But if you give from the blessing, you'll reap the blessing, right? So there's a, there's a whole aspect in there that's the, because my main focus was to talk about this, the heart of yeah, the sower is the most important. Yeah, so yeah. So that's the deal. Okay. Yeah. That's the, that's the, cool. No. Gotcha. Understood. Yes, sir. All righty. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to, to see everyone this morning. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and, and get started. So Jesus, help us. Amen. Okay. Uh, there's our prayer. Uh, and we know the shortest prayer in the Bible, right, is Jesus. You know, that's those that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right. So the shortest prayer in the Bible is, is Jesus. But we have a few new faces. This is my last time with you. Obviously, please know you can find me uh, on Facebook. Uh, if you don't have my cell phone number, you're our church family. You can come get my cell phone number at any time. You can send me questions. You can ask questions. Uh, that we're not limited to just this time. So please... Uh, or come visit us up at the North Campus. Yeah, we'd love to have you up there. We do, uh, just so you know, we do uh, Sunday mornings at 1030. Uh, we did that on purpose so that myself and our other pastors could do this with you. So we knew we'd come in and have times to teach this class with you guys. And that way we can come and teach you and, and just go on up and be a part of our church family. So we staggered it on purpose. So uh, our church starts at 1030 on Sundays. We do our midweek on Thursdays. And we did that on purpose. 
so that we wouldn't be in competition with what's going on here so that our people could come here on Wednesdays and you guys are free to come join us on Thursdays. A little bit different for us on Thursdays is at 5.30, we do dinner together every week. Uh, and so if you want to join us on a Thursday, please come at 5.30. Uh, we call it pot blessing. So just, um, that's a joke. You can laugh. It's, uh, um, Phil, bring, bring something to share, and we just uh, throw a bunch of food on the table uh, and sit down and share a meal. And then we do something very similar to this class on Thursdays at 6.30. Uh, so we eat from 5.30 to 6.30, and about 6.30 we gather like this, and it's just a real time of teaching and discussion and questions and answers, uh, praying in the Spirit. Huh? Where's your building? Our building is at 118 Trafford Road in Warrior, Alabama. 118. Uh -huh, yeah, so if you go up north, six, uh, 31 North, if you go up Highway 31 North through Warrior, downtown Warrior, if you've ever been there, you go through the middle of old Mayberry Warrior. Uh, it's on both sides. It's there. Uh, and you go through, when you pop out the north, when you pop out the north side of Warrior, Trafford Road comes in on the right. There's St. James, uh, uh, Brother Ains's church, great, great African-American minister. I'm glad he's our neighbor. Uh, St. James uh, Methodist sits right there in, in the corner. You turn to the right there, it's kind of like a curve, and we're the first building on the right. Uh, so you'll find us right there. So 118 Trafford Road. Again, love to have you guys anytime. Uh, again, please feel free to ask Selena and I questions. You find us on Facebook. Uh, if you don't have my cell phone number, please, please ask me for it. I'll be glad to share it with you. But we're here to talk about the last session of Bible Interpretation. Real quick review uh, to do this. I've been principally wanting to focus on what's called the five contexts. Uh, the reason why is that the number one rule of Bible interpretation is Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. You don't, you don't need other books. You don't need other tools. You don't need other things. Here in a moment, I will tell you some things that are helpful, but they're not needed. You and the Holy Spirit and your Bible are all that is needed to accurately and consistently interpret God's Word. Right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to come back to this in just a minute. Uh, again, for those that are here for the first time, the five contexts are the immediate context. So the verse or the verses right around the passage you're studying, you always want to start there first. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Book, the, the context of the book or the letter, right? Each, each book of the Bible is, I like the term better, especially in the New Testament, it's a letter. And each letter or epistle or book has a theme of its own. So knowing and understanding the theme of each book is important to understand the verse in the book, right? I encourage every believer, you need two types of Bible, you need a Bible like this one. This is my fourth or fifth one. I, I prefer personally, not because of anything more than I've learned to use it. Y'all know what the best exercise equipment on the planet is, don't you? The one you use. <laughs> what, what's the best translation of the Bible? The one you use, right? <laughs> the one you actually will study and read and use and apply to your life. That's the best one. I prefer the New King James. Because like many of you, I grew up on King, oh, I call him old King Jimmy, right? I grew up going to a school where Jesus and Paul, if, if King James was good enough for them, it's good enough for us, right? Um, that's also a joke, right? And so, uh, but I, I come to learn and appreciate the new King James, and it's my preferred translation. Personally, that doesn't mean other ones are worse or better. 
It's just the one I have learned to use. Does that make sense? So when I think about the Bible in my mind, I typically am thinking New King James. But I love the Spirit-Filled Life Study Bible. Every believer, my opinion, every believer needs a study Bible that will help them study God's Word. Right? The reason why I like this type of study Bible is at the beginning of each letter or book, there is a detailed history and instruction about the context of the book. Right? That to me is a very important part of a study Bible. There's some other fun tools in the middle that are helpful, but the most important thing to me is in a good study Bible at the front of each book, it'll tell you this is who wrote it, this is when they wrote it, this is why they wrote it. What I like about the Spirit-Filled Life Bible, I'll see you. What I like about the Spirit-Filled Life Bible is it says, here's the history and context naturally of the book. Here's Jesus in the book. And here's the Holy Spirit in the book. And those things are helpful. Yes, ma'am, Miss Kathy. No, I was just going to ask you again what the, the title of the book, the Bible was. The Spirit-Filled Life Bible. That's the one. I, this, uh, this is my fourth or fifth copy of them. I've, I've worn about three of them out already. One of them went to Karis. I pass them on. One of them went to Karis with Sophia. Yeah. So she literally, and, I, and this again for parents, grandparents, mark up your Bible, write in your Bible, Leave your fingerprint in your Bible because this one belongs to her. She just doesn't know it yet. Right? And then I'll mark up the next one. But So my daughter was able to take my Bible that I preached in her whole life growing up. And it has all of my thoughts in it as well as her Heavenly Father's thoughts in it. So always leave a record behind, right? Always do that. But, that's that. but then you need a Bible that you'll read. When you just need to sit down and read the Bible, I prefer the New Living Translation, the NLT, simply because it reads well. So I'm going to read over it. And so you need a Bible that will help you read a book at a time because unfortunately in our, in our grace and faith circles, we tend to study the Bible in sound bites. We don't study it in books anymore. Okay, are you with me? We have our favorite verses and passages and we study those, but we don't study the books. You need to study the Bible as it was written. It was written in letters. So you need to study and read and know the letters, not just your favorite part of a letter. Y'all don't, don't shout me down because we're preaching real good. Y'all all right this morning? All right. So, so there's that. So you need to know that. So there's the context of the book or the letter that you need to be familiar with. You need to, and we're going to look at this one today in detail in just a minute. One of the, probably to me, one of the biggest helps in these contexts is this one. You want to look at the context of books written by the same author. Because there are fingerprints left behind by the author, especially the Apostle Paul. Right? Now here's, let me... Um, let me break up the Bible just a little bit for you. We haven't done this, and so this is new for everybody. So it also helps you to understand when we talk about testaments in the whole Bible that the Bible has different types of writing in it, right? There are what are called historical documents. So those would be things like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, right? Those would be historical documents, <clears throat> but also... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're historical doc documents of the New Testament. The book of Acts would be a historical document. 
of, of the New Testament. Does that make sense? There are what are called the poetic documents, right? Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, right? They are the poetic documents. There is an aspect of poeticness in James. James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament because James followed some of the same poetic patterns of Solomon Right, and when you read James. But now, here's my only disclaimer. James is not a poetic document. James, and all of the letters of the New Testament, starting from Romans forward into Revelation, are what's called didactic. There's your $5 word for today. Right? D-I-A. D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-
oh, I need a quarter cup of this and a half of this and a teaspoon of that and a so much of that. And you learned you weren't doing anything more than reading somebody else's recipe, but you knew how to apply the vocabulary. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then later you got to the rhetoric stage where you began to create your own recipes. You learned how things worked and did the, that's how you learn everything. Does that make sense? You learn everything in life. You learn it in these three passages. Unfortunately to our young people, we don't teach them this anymore. We give, we, we give our, we give our young people multiple guest test, otherwise known as multiple choice, right? But it's multiple guests, A, B, C, or D. Right, and as long as they know how to guess accurately, we tell them they're smart, but they can't make anything to save their life. Does that make sense? They know how to take tests, but they don't know how to cook. So remember, as you teach yourself and you teach your family, sure, help them know how to pass the multiple guess stuff, because that's just unfortunately the system we have. But go and do extra work. People ask all the time, why do you guys homeschool? I said, because I'm lazy. <laughs> Because I don't want to do it twice. Because <laughs> if I send them to school, they'd have to come home and I'd have to teach them all over again. So I thought, well, we'll just do it once and be done. Right? But obviously I didn't do so good, did I? I'm just I'm picking not because of you, but because of me. I was not burn I was not burning you. I apologize. I was not burning you. I was not burning you. I was trying to come to church with Daddy. I was Huh? Yes. Dialectic, that's right. Make the idea your own rhetoric. Yes. The first one is losing the grammar, learning the terms, learning. Mm-hmm. That's exactly, that's right. Those are the three steps. That's how we learn everything. Anyway, that's all free. But that's why we have a different language in church. Right? We all learn the vocabulary. I'm righteous, I'm redeemed, I'm saved, I'm delivered, all this kind of stuff. We, many of us know how to put the concepts together. The goal is to make you a disciple so you can make your own sermons. So you can preach for yourself. So you can build and do stuff on your own. Does that make sense? That's the process. And that's what we're trying to do in all of this. But anyway, back to the, where did I leave off? I got off on that. The author of the book. We'll get there in just a second. So, um, but, oh, that's what it was. Knowing your testament in the whole Bible, there are some things, we've said it before, some lessons you can learn that are outside of the Bible that will help you. One of them is called Bible survey. You need to know how the Bible all fits together. So if you wanna take some notes, a great additional study tool, uh, Chris and I were talking about before we started, is called Through the Bible Book by Book by Mr. Perlman. I forgot his first name, Perlman. You can buy them on Amazon. There's like four volumes. They're thin little books. And basically what he does, Mr. Perlman uh, outlines every book of the Bible. Teaches you the overall context of the book and how the book fits in the entirety of Scripture. Knowing where the book fits is important. And I thank you, Holy Spirit. I was saying all this to say, to say this. Remember we talked about there are historical documents, there are historical books, there are poetic books, and there are didactic books. The didactic books are the letters of the New Testament. The letters, the didactic books, are where we get our doctrine from from today. We do not get doctrine from the historical books. 
That's very important for you to understand. New Testament teaching and doctrine comes from the letters, right? It doesn't come from the... Now, the historical books will and must support the doctrine you interpret from the didactic. And they always will. If, if the historical books or the poetic books do not support your doctrine, you have false doctrine. But we do not take, and this is the brain bender because even Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we do not take doctrine from the Gospels. Question. Yes, sir. Brother Hagen talked about that. Uh-huh, that's right. Jesus says certain, see if you agree, Jesus said certain things to the Jews that mm-hmm. don't apply to us. He said spend most of your time in the letter. That's exactly right. right. Yeah, we are to spend the... Pre- if you're going to study any, you know, it's kind of one of those things. I don't know why people do this. It's always the joke amongst us preachers. You know, somebody comes and go, Pastor Brad, Pastor Brad. I started reading my Bible. And so I started in Job. And I'm not going for the love of Jesus. Get out of Job and get over into Romans. People ask me all the time, where should you start reading the Bible? Romans. You should read Romans first. Well, it's not so much a tough road. Romans is Paul's, and as an example, this is why I say Romans. Romans is Paul's greatest um, dissertation. It's his greatest explanation of the gospel. And the reason why was Paul was writing. See, Paul did not found the church in Rome. Someone else, I think it was Peter or whoever, someone else founded the church in Rome. Paul only heard about the church in Rome. And his heart from God went out to the church at Rome. God connected their hearts. So he was writing a letter to people who did not know who he was and did not hear his message from the beginning. So Paul literally starts Romans at creation and walks us the gospel from creation all the way through to consummation. It's his greatest letter. So if you want to help people read something, you need to read Romans. Now, inside of Romans, famously, we'll find, and most of us good Baptist-leaning people, we know the Romans road, right? And, it's a, and, you need, if you, and if you don't know what that is, you can Google it, and that's a great tool to use to lead people to Jesus. It's called the Romans road, and it's a series of verses that starts in Romans, and you can walk people through the plan of salvation just from verses in Romans. But the greatest thing to me about Romans is Paul teaches us our freedom from sin. The main heart of Romans is to teach us that we are truly and utterly and completely redeemed and freed from our sin. That is the main purpose of Romans. That you are now, because of Christ, you are sin free. Completely, utterly, totally sin free. Amen? Does that make sense? So that, that's very important. But let's go to this. So today, as we do this in end, and i got to look at my clock. I know some of y'all got to go. So this is going to go fast, okay? So we got to look at books written by the same author, especially the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote most of the letters of the New Testament. So we're going to use as a study example the concept of ministry gifts, right? So go famously, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. We're very familiar with this one, and typically when any minister starts to talk about ministry gifts, they begin in Ephesians chapter 4, right? And let's look at verse 7. 
And I want you to know that when you're looking at books written by the same author, you're looking for repeats and patterns and you're looking for what also is said in fullness by that same person. It's why, as in another example, I talk about when you want to understand one of the Jesus stories, a great practice to do is to read every occasion throughout the Gospels of the Jesus story you're wanting to study. Yes. Right? All of the very important Jesus stories appear in all four Gospels. Right, So the higher repetition, you understand God is putting greater emphasis on that story, so pay attention. That's good. That's good. Every now and then you'll find a Jesus story that only appears in one gospel. That doesn't make it unimportant, but it apparently wasn't as important as God saying, you need to pay attention right here. Right. So you're looking at, but look here. So in Ephesians chapter four, it says in verse seven, but to each one of us, how many? All right, so if you want to underline that, please, that's going to be a repeated pattern. To each one of us, a grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Right? Now, there's some stuff that goes on down that we're going to skip, but it's worth studying later. Jump down to verse 11. And he himself, talking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Right? So here is a short list. Most people say here is the five-fold ministry. Anybody ever heard of the five-fold yeah. ministry? I'm going to counter that just for fun. Okay? I'm not trying to be totally argumentative. But remember we said a couple of weeks ago, but we also want to study the Bible literally, meaning we study it as literature. So you have to look at grammar and you have to look at the way things were structured. So notice here, and this is going to be important in a minute, because the word pastor that is there is the only time that word is used in that way in the entire New Testament. Wow. Now, here's also a rule for you. Anytime something shows up once, we never make a doctrine of it. However, here we tend to make a doctrine out of it. Oh, don't shout me down because we're preaching real good. Come on. But notice this. Here, look at this pattern again, this, this pattern of English. So Jesus gave, and he says some. So every time you do that some, you understand in English, he's talking about a category. There are some who are called apostles. There are some who are called prophets. Some who are called evangelists. And then he says some pastors and teachers. Look at that word and. You remember, you remember Schoolhouse Rock, all these young people. Any of you young kids know Schoolhouse Rock? Come on. Can y'all sing the song? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words. And Y'all remember the conjunction, junction? So we all know that and is a conjunction. And so what is and doing in that verse? What's it connecting? What is it joining? Pastors and teachers. So in English, we would understand as one thing, Paul is saying there are people who are pastors, teachers. They're always together. So in here, Paul says there's four leading gifts. Four gifts whose primary job is to equip the believer so the believer can go and do the work of the ministry. There are not five. There are four. There's apostles, prophets, 
evangelist and pastor and teacher are together. That's why, here's a little fun, Brad being mean to us ministers, okay? Y'all can all say that. That's why you ever noticed your favorite teacher, your favorite, I'm going to pick on the word of faith because I am one, our favorite word of faith teachers. Isn't it amazing how they all have churches? No, they all do. And, it, and the ones, and I'm going to pick on one. I'll name him. It's Keith, Brother Keith Moore. Love Brother Keith Moore. He taught me a ton, so I'm not being mean. Brother Keith, if you're listening, I'm not being mean. <laughs> right? But Brother Keith Moore, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a, just a teacher. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a teacher until I moved to Branson and opened a church. Uh, well, wait a minute. Well, what happened? And then he opens one in Sarasota. Or Jesse Duplantis. Or Brother Copeland. Or Kenneth Hagin. I'm always amazed at how God's word just does what it says it'll do. So these people who, nope, nope, not a pastor. I'm just a teacher. No, you're, you're, you're a pastor teacher. Give it enough time and all of a sudden you'll find yourself mysteriously being led to open the church. <laughs> because that's just what you are. Is that, so do you, do you, was that hard? Was it always right there? Did you realize that you had to be told it meant something for it to mean something else? But if you just read it, you would go, oh, in English, he's talking about four sums, four groups of ministry gifts. Yes, sir. Just a second and differentiate between an evangelist and a pastor teacher. So an evangelist, so Philip is in the book of Acts. Philip is an evangelist. An evangelist is a person who their primary calling is to go into the world and to preach the gospel message to those who have never heard. The evangelist typically with them has a strong healing ministry that follows the preaching of the gospel. So that's why you saw, you have examples of them listed in Acts. Philip, who was an evangelist, and that's why Philip went into Samaria and Philip preached the kingdom of God and preached Jesus. They got saved, many got healed, and many of the demon-possessed were set free, and then Philip moved on. That's why it says that when the church in Jerusalem heard Philip had preached the word in Samaria, their first response was as they sent two pastors, James and John, to make sure they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that a church was started where an evangelist was. Do you see it? So the, that was done by a man who was an apostle, right? Who understood. And that's why you see the difference. Does that make sense? So in a, an, ev- an evangelist, right? See, an apostle, just for sake of definition, an apostle is a person who either is gifted to go into places and start new churches like Paul and or... They're a person who's given a specific message to teach, like Paul. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. That meant Paul operated in both. They're kind of like edges. I look at them as like a sword. Paul was double-edged. Paul went in as an apostle, and he, he was just always starting churches. But he also carried the message of justification by faith to the Gentiles. Amen. Does that make sense? So that was an apostle. Brother Hagen, we mentioned Brother Hagen. Brother Hagen, I would say, was an apostle, right? Because he carried the message of faith, right? 
And then he raised up people who went out and started many, many churches. Does that make sense? Right now, again, you're going to hear me say this. I believe God is in favor of double dipping. So I I think that if you, as you walk with God, he's most likely dipped you and I in multiple. So even though he says, and we're going to see that each one of us has at least one of these gifts. But God may have double dipped or even triple dipped you. Right. And so let him do what he wants to do. Right. But you need to know you have at least one ministry gift in you because you're a part of the body of Christ. And all these four gifts are, are gifts that are designed to equip other believers. The principal function of these is that. But here's the thing. But this is not the only list. Go to Romans chapter 12. This is where our thing we're talking about, about looking at books written by the same author is a great example to teach us. So in Romans chapter 12, so who wrote Romans? Who wrote Ephesians? Right, so same man wrote both letters, right? So here in Romans chapter 12, we're famous for the first two, but for time's sake, let's look at verse three. He says, for I say through the grace that was given to me, now what grace is he talking about there? Y'all help? Not the grace of salvation. What grace did Paul have on his life? Do y'all know what the word grace means? Okay, that's, that's a wonderful modern definition. It's not 100% wrong, but like many words that have multiple meanings, you have to look at the context to know what word he's talking about. The word grace is the word charisma, and it means a gift. The word charisma talks about a gift. So unmerited favor is a gift. So there is a gift of salvation which is the unmerited favor of God. But here, Paul's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the grace that was given to him. What grace was given to Paul? What gift was given to him? His apostleship. The gift of being an apostle. To everyone who is among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Again, this will teach us again to look at the immediate context. But to think soberly as God has dealt to what? Each one of us a measure of faith. Now, how many have you ever heard that measure of faith before? Right? So here's a little bit of fun in context. Do you understand this is not the measure of faith for salvation? God did not give every person a measure of faith for salvation. I'm sorry to bust your word of faith bubble. Right? So tell me, Romans again, where we are, later in this same book, or or, sorry, previously in this book in chapter 10, Paul tells us where faith to salvation comes from. Go Go to Romans 10. Romans chapter 10. Everybody read verse 17. And go ahead. When you find it, somebody start reading. So how does faith come? Now, what kind of faith is Paul talking about? Faith for salvation. How do we know that? Back up to verse 14. This is, again, immediate context. How shall they call on the one in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in someone they have not heard? And how shall they hear unless a preacher is sent? How shall the preacher go unless he is sent? Right? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, 
but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report, so then, look at that phrase in English, faith, faith for what? Comes by hearing and hearing what? Now the word of God is the gospel here. Faith for salvation comes by hearing the gospel preached. If it was a measure of faith given, then Paul here would have said, now remember, everyone's been given the measure of faith to believe so they can be saved. That's not what he said. <laughs> Are y'all with me? That's why, again, can I pop another little good churchy bubble? That's why your good Christian lifestyle will never get anybody saved. Just being a good little Christian boy and girl won't save a soul until you and I open our mouth and declare verbally the gospel of Jesus Christ. People don't have a hope in hell to have faith come. No one will ever look at my lifestyle and get saved. They'll just look at me and go, well, that Brad sure is a good guy. That's all they'll say. Oh, he sure is a nice man. Boy, he sure is loving. Boy, he sure is generous. Boy, he sure is kind. Boy, he sure is with God. Oh man, he really knows God, but they'll never get saved by looking at my life. The only way they'll get saved is if they hear me tell them who Jesus is and what he did, then faith can come by the hearing of the word of God preached. So one question and one question there. Yes. Uh-huh. -huh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, and again, well, here's a fun little thing to pick on our rhema because I'm a rhema guy. So there are two words that talk about the word word in the Greek language. There's rhema and logos. Typically, you have been told, and it's not totally incorrect, that the word rhema means the spoken word and the word logos means the written word. In their usage, generally that is true, but those two words are synonymous in the Greek. They mean the same thing each way. That's why you'll see them interchanged all throughout the Greek language. So that's again why context is key. Here, you're absolutely right. Here, it uses the word rhema, and because of context, we know he's talking about the spoken word versus the written word. But not because he uses the word rhema, but because he uses the word rhema in the right context, just like we would use English, certain English words in the right context, and it means this over here. I can't think of one often. Maybe y'all can think of one. But there's English words where if you use them in this kind of a sentence, it means this. But if you use it in this sentence over here, it means something different. Same word. The word love. The word love could be when I, I love my wife and I love pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Two totally different concepts. Same word. Same thing with rhema and logos. So you have to look at the context to know when he talks about the word rhema here as the spoken word, he's talking about the word you spoke or the word spoken by the preacher. So the word you speak, the gospel you speak carries with it the ability to produce faith in the hearer. That's why it's one of the now, this is Brad's personal opinion. This is one of the most subtle devices of the devil in our current church age 
is because most of the church believes I'm going to be a good little Christian boy and girl, and through my Christian lifestyle alone, people will come to know Jesus. And that is the, the sneakiest tactic of the devil ever, because basically, as the church, we've stood up and told people that's being an evangelist. What, 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 here's what, what, everybody loves quoting what St. Francis was a sissy, right? No, I'm just, that's St. Francis of Assisi, right? Well, Thomas Aquinas, I know him, but everybody, you jog my mind, but, but St. Francis of Assisi famously said, at all times, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. And the problem with that thing from Francis is it's not biblical. The only way you can preach the gospel is to use words. That's the only way. The only way the gospel is preached is verbally. Period. Again, how, let's look at, at that concept. Y'all looking at me out of cow to Newgate. Throughout the whole Bible, how many times did God give us only one way to do certain things? A lot. Again, we talked about it a few weeks ago. How many ways were there to escape the flood? How many ways were there to come in the Old Testament and get right with God? Does that make sense? How many ways was there to become a Jew or a Judaized Gentile? So you see, God has a repeated pattern throughout the whole context of Scripture that he's all about. There's one way to do this. There's, there's not multiple ways. There's one way. That's it. Why? Because Jesus, our God, the Father, believed in our kiss method. He was the author. Keep it simple, saint. Right? <laughs> right? Keep it simple, stupid. Right? We're not going to make multiple ways. They won't get it. So God is the author of, I'm going to give you one way to do stuff. That, what, well, theoretically, that way we wouldn't screw up. How, how many ways do we have to fulfill our sexual desires? Do you see this pattern repeated through the whole of the God? He says, here's, here's the way. Now that, that, that's back to the same. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's why you've heard me say this probably here before. There is a, a Jesus way to do things that brings you the Jesus life you're looking for. Right? There's just one. So when it comes to getting people born again, God said there's one way. Paul in another place in Corinthians said it was by God's sovereignty that he chose the foolishness of the word preached that men would be saved. So Paul tells us there's one way to lead people to Jesus. You have to tell them about Jesus. Yes, sir. Well, Yeah. Which means you confront someone. Yeah. Uh, with the word, right? Or with your testimony. Even. You know, which yeah. will be the word will be in that. Yeah. I mean, is that they've got it backwards. Because in actuality, you're gonna do more harm to evangelism by doing something you shouldn't do. Sure, absolutely. So so you know, do do something good, and eh, maybe we'll tell somebody. Do something bad, we tell a hundred people. <laughs> right? well, so what I'm saying is, you're, 
that is important in evangelism, but it actually, on the other's perspective, is because now you can't really open your mouth. Like you know, if you're complaining to the Jacks lady because your 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 gravy doesn't have enough sausage bits in it, you know you know what I mean. I paid my da 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 da. You know, you you gotta think. Yeah. Okay, now you're going to turn around and say, "Can I pray for you, honey?" Yeah. So well, it might be. Well, here's the thing, though. But even to pick on us just a little bit, all right? Everybody having fun. Your testimony won't get nobody saved. Well, when I say give my testimony, I mean I'm in the witness. I'm telling what happened to me, how I was converted. Sure. And I use the Sure. But, but even, because here's, okay, I, I hear you. I'm talking about testimony like, oh, did you see what he did? I mean, where I'm verbally talking to somebody. Oh, I, and I agree. Right. No, but, but even, I'm just picking on just a little bit, just to drive a point home. But even the testimony of my salvation will save no one. Only the declaration of Jesus and what he did will save someone. Well, there's why I say that is, is because what we've done also to the church is to see, I grew up in church. Like my kids, I grew up. I didn't really do anything massively. I got no astounding testimony. I grew up, I, I, I grew up as a good little boy in a good little Christian home, had a little bit of, but I wasn't some way out over here person that radically got transformed and radically came to, to Jesus and radically came to faith. I was just a good common person. And that's why I love the testimony of a David Wilkerson is a great analogy for us to follow a man who grew up. He was a good little boy, had no problems, had no issues, grew up and God calls him to the inner city of New York where all he simply does is preach the gospel to gang members and the gospel got him saved. And I say that on purpose and I hear what you're saying and, and I'm not trying to, to be mean, but I want you to understand that again, it's the gospel. It's the message of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation, not the messenger. The messenger is not the power of God unto salvation. It's the message. It, uh, Will, I need to say something. Sure. You know, God has created us in a certain way. And if you know anything about sales, then facts will sell nothing. Yes. But stories will. Oh, absolutely. So when I say testimony, I'm not talking about just this happened to me, it's going to happen exactly to you, and I never use the word. What I'm saying is let the Holy Spirit tell you and bring into, in when you're in the process of witnessing to someone, yeah. you bring in and say, just like this happened in, in my brother's life, the Bible tells us that we will all have sinned and come short of the glory of sure. God. So that's what I mean. Oh, and, and, I, and I know that's what you mean. Yeah, I'm, yeah. And I, but I, I say that on purpose because this is the simplicity. I want you to understand it is the simple message of Jesus. And even when we talk about before, when I say the word preached, don't think good old Southern preaching. You're going to go to hell, John. Yeah, come on. Right? That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's right. That's not good news. And preaching isn't being loud. That's right. And preaching isn't yelling and screaming and spit flying. And arms are spinning. Preaching is, let me tell you who Jesus is and what he did. Yes, 
That's preaching. I'm going to tell you, but it's verbal, it's personal, it's auditory, it must be heard. Because that's how faith comes. Faith comes no other way. So back to Romans, and for time's sake, because i got to be mindful to try to do this. So when here in Romans chapter 12, when he talks about the measure of faith, he's not then talking about salvation faith. Because in the same book, he's told us how salvation faith comes. It comes by hearing the word preached. So what then is the measure of faith? Well, let's look at the immediate context. For as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function. So he tells, so what's the context of the immediate passage? Come on now, y'all, y'all can read it. What's the context of the immediate passage? I just read it. Let me draw one. So then each one is given a measure of faith for as we are many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So what is the context under discussion? The body of Christ and membership in the body of Christ. So apparently the measure of faith must be connected to being a member of the body of Christ, having then gifts differing according to the grace that was given to us. So how many people were given a grace? Everybody. So you see that repeated again. Paul says everybody's been given a grace. Everybody's been given a gift. See, here's the thing. And for time's sake, I'll speed it up, right? So here's the thing. I can't read in the Bible and say, Brad Holloman, in the year 2022, you will be a pastor at Life of Faith Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and go, oh, faith comes. I don't find me in the Bible. I don't find God saying I'm called in the Bible. So to have the faith to operate the gift God has given me, God says, son, you were born again by the message preached I'm giving you a gift to do something and I'm giving you the faith to operate the gift I've given you because I can't find it in the Bible for faith to come by hearing. Do y'all see that? So that means the moment you identify what your gift is, you instantly know I've got the faith to operate that gift because when he gave me the gift, he gave me the measure of faith needed to operate the gift. That's good. Does and that's all just right here in context. That's right. Right? So we, again, we have to pull it out of context to make it mean something else. What most people are trying to say is now every human being has the ability to believe because we were created by a faith being. So a faith being, God, created us in his image. So you and I are also a faith being. So every good atheist believes. Amen. Amen. Every, every good human believes. It's what do I believe, but it's not that I don't believe. There is not a human running around here that is actually not believing. They're believing because they can't help it. They are a faith being. They're believing in something, even if it's themselves. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Every human being has a hollow spot. Going on what you said. Sure. 
He said, and you're going to fill it with something. Sure. That's exactly what you're talking about. He said, you're going, you're going to believe something. Something. Jesus needs to fill that. It's yeah. not something else is going to That's right. Oh, absolutely. Well, I would say, and I don't disagree. I say that. <clears throat> well, and here's my thing. I don't, I don't disagree with the hollow place in our heart. All this guy, what I found helpful as we talk to people is for them to understand you believe. Yes. You just need to ask yourself what you, because most people out there, they'll tell you, well, I don't believe in anything. Yeah, yeah. And I look at them and go, well, yeah, yeah you do. You, yeah, you believe do. that you don't believe. So, so you believe something. I'm just want, I just want to know what you believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then I love, I, again, and y'all have heard me tell this story before, because of the modern religion of today is called humanism. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. And, and what that basically means is people believe that they are their own God. Uh, when I lived in Canada, that was literally the conversation I had with a guy that we were kicking him out of his house. I went with a church member. Guy wasn't paying his rent. He said, Pastor Brad, will you go with me? I need a witness legally by Canadian law. Uh, and maybe we'll have a chance to, to share the gospel with this guy. I said, sure. So we go and he finds out I'm the pastor and he starts off with, well, I'm not a religious person. I said, you're not. I said, okay, well, you believe something. He goes, yeah, well, I believe I'm my own God. And then the spirit of sarcasm came up on me. <laughs> and I looked at him. I said, well, how's that working for you, God? Because we're, we're kicking you out of your house today. How you doing? You being your own God doesn't look like it's working out too well. And he chuckled. He goes, yeah, you got me there. Right. I said, and then the Holy Spirit came on me after the spirit of sarcasm left. And this was all by the Holy Ghost. I looked at him. I said, so you get to be your own God? He says, yes. I said, that's your, that's your belief? He goes, yes. I said, so then you get to make your own rules? He goes, well, yes. I said, man, that's awesome. I said, then by the Holy Spirit, I said, so how are you at keeping the rules you made? Because you get to be your own God. You get to make up your own rules. How are you doing keeping your rules? And then he chuckled and smiled real big. He goes, well, not very good. And I said, you need to listen to your own words. Because the Bible says that's the sin nature that's inside every one of us. That even if I get to be my own God... I'm going to struggle keeping my own rules because there's a nature on the inside of me given to me by my parents that will fight against that. It's called sin. Now, let me tell you about Jesus who took that nature away from those who would believe and then gives you a gift. We call it grace that gives you something you've never had before, which is the ability to now say yes to doing right and no to doing wrong. Does that make sense? Now, we never got the chance at that day to lead him to the Lord, but we got a chance to preach the gospel, which is all we can do. Does that make sense? Yeah. But, but you see it. But let's look here, and we've got to end up because we're going to run on time. So then Paul says, then having gifts differing according to the grace given to us, he then starts around verse 6 and 7. He says, so then if it's prophecy, let us prophesy. Right? If it's ministry, let us minister. If we teach, let us teach. If we exhort, let's do it in exhortation. If we give, do it with liberality. If we lead, we do it with diligence. And if we show mercy, we do it with cheerfulness. So here's a whole nother list of ministry gifts. Right here. Do you see that? How many people have one of these gifts? Each of us. Now, again, for, I can't do it, but for time's sake, you can go home to this afternoon. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at the end of the chapter. Well, let's do it real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, at the end of the chapter, 
And you can look at this. Now, the front of that chapter, there's a gift of spiritual gifts. Those are different than ministry gifts. But it says in verse 27, Now we are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers. Now, remember what I said, and I picked on us pastors, right? We don't see pastor but once in Ephesians 4, but we see teacher in each list. Just like we see apostle and prophet in each list, I believe. Except for that first list. Maybe not that one in the apostle. We see prophecy in each list. But what I would encourage you to do to go home, we did this as the North Campus a few years ago, but take these three lists, write them out side by side, smush together the repeats, and you'll actually get the complete list Paul taught people that are ministry gifts. And unless I'm remembering wrong, when we did it as, at the North Campus, we come up with 14. There were 14 identifiable ministry gifts that Paul says every believer has at least one of these. Isn't that more hope giving? Because how many times, again, we preacherville, we get up there and we, we camp out in Ephesians 4 and we paint it. And then I've heard some people say some, and what they do is, well, some of y'all got it and some of y'all don't. So those that don't go, well, I guess I'll just uh, fill a pew. I guess I'll just uh, do something different. Whereas Paul in each list says every believer has at least one of these. And here's 14 of them. It's just the ones in Ephesians 4 are leading gifts. That's the only distinction is, okay, those that are gifted in these four from Ephesians 4, you're there to get everybody else ready. That's your primary purpose. But everybody's got this. But it says here, and I'll end with this, right? There are apostles, prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, gifts of healings, a special gift. This is not general tongues, but a special gift to speak tongues, a special gift to interpret tongues, right? So these are all the ministry gifts. So this afternoon, go home and put these lists down. And if you didn't mind, just do some homework and tell me and smush them all together. And I want to hear everybody's number. How many did you find? Send me your compiled list if you would be willing. And I'll compare it. Does that make sense? Does this help? Yeah. But see, that's why it's important to look at books written by the same author. Because we have a tendency to camp out in our favorite passages but if we're not careful, we'll only get an aspect of that teaching when there may be more that was given by that author. Amen? Amen. Hey, guys, thank you all so much. I, I have recorded these. Uh, you'll find them on the Life of Faith North podcast. Uh,